Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where Zeus's Rescues and the Louisiana SPCA have launched pet food pantries to enable families to keep their pets in spite of the financial struggles they're facing due to COVID-19. For more information, email ZeusRescues at gmail.com or Beth at la-spca.org. I'm joined by Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where the Quail Creek Fire Department stepped up last week and provided free meals for truckers delivering supplies or traveling through central Arkansas. Thank you for joining us for Episode 5 of Clear and Convincing, State of Texas versus Yolanda Saldivar. Selena Quintanilla Perez was a talented performer and fashion designer with a long career and a bright future ahead of her, including plans to start a family with her husband, Chris. Saldivar presented herself as a fan and soon became an integral fixture in Selena's business and fan club. Within months, Abraham Quintanilla, Selena's father, received complaints about Yolanda, and she was fired. In spite of Saldivar's betrayal, Selena, a kind and caring person, tried to help her troubled friend. On March 31, 1995, Saldivar shot Selena during an argument at a Corpus Christi Days Inn motel, killing the young woman she came, claimed to love like a daughter. We'll talk about the events leading up to Selena's murder, Saldivar's history of embezzlement from other employers, the shooting, Saldivar's arrest, trial, and conviction. We'll also talk about the convicted murderer's unsuccessful direct appeal and state and federal post-conviction claims. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. And good evening, Michael. How are you doing on day seven or nine or two seven of quarantine? I think I'm day six or seven of work from home, so I'm not doing too okay, bad. Well, that's good. I'm not doing that's too good. bad. It's uh, it's it's starting to get to me a little bit, you know. I'm starting to find reasons to step outside for a second and breathe some fresh air. 
but uh, yeah, but I, I am doing that too, a yeah. little bit more. But you know, I like research, and so now mm-hmm. I have time to do unlimited research, and I don't have to worry about not getting other things done because Absolutely. my office is closed, and I don't have the ability to work from home. Right. Right. So, so are you technically furloughed right now? More or less. Um, now, I do have access to my work email, and so I'm mm-hmm. checking that every day and, you know, advising the attorneys uh, of anything that they need to, to deal with or handle. And, you know, I've responded to a few things, letting them know the office is closed and whatever information I know off the top of my head. Right. Or that I'm forwarding it for somebody else to, you know, answer. But, yeah, we're just kind of in limbo right now. And I do have to say my employer is continuing to pay salaries. Okay. Well, that's amazing. That's awesome. It is. It's it's good to hear that, you know, with everything going on. Yes. Um, But I will be supporting my 50-some-odd-year-old sister because her employer is not only not giving her any work, but is not going to be paying her. Oh, man. So, um, so, so you know, light and then a little bit of, you know, damn, that's fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Her, you well, know, I mean, she's got obligations. That she's going right. to have to worry about too, right? And, and I mean, I can only take up so much slack. I try not to. I try not to. Uh, I try not to. You know, get on to companies too much because I realize I'm in a very blessed situation to be able to work from home, and uh, right. FedEx allowing us to do that. But, uh, but you know, I. I some of it I understand. Some of it I'm like, come on, guys. You guys have way the hell too much money to just be laying off people and not paying them. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I would like to uh, – uh, I would like to say one thing as far as this case goes before we get too far into it. Uh, I, yeah. I, I was thinking about this as we were listening to the intro. Uh my thing here is if you are looking for a complete just evidence that the state of Texas doesn't just go out to kill people, I think Yolanda Saldivar is your uh, is your shining example because – and maybe we'll get into it – how she honestly has even a remote possibility of getting out, let alone not ending up on death row. Mm. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I was gonna. I, I was, I was thinking of this as I was reading the intro. This is a case where, first of all, I am actually more in line with the court of public opinion. In that, mm-hmm. a lot of people really, really have an intense hatred of Yolanda oh. Saldivar. I'll go a step further. I share sure. that. Um, before we get into everything, my experience with this, I, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't listen to Tejano music 
at the time that I remember coming home from work and I had my dinner, I turned on MTV and there they're covering the standoff and they're profiling Selena's life and playing her music. And I hear, you know, Yolanda threatening to shoot herself. And again, I rarely do this, but one thought was go ahead, do it. Right. Because I had had time to see what she took from the world. And so, um, but we'll get more into that later. Let me go over. We do have a few new developments in some of the cases we previously covered. Uh, Stephen Avery's case, the state has filed its response brief in Avery's post-conviction appeal. And uh, that was on March 27th. Pardon me. I'm sure Kathleen Zellner is busily working on a reply brief. Mm -hmm. I haven't had time to read it. I haven't found a copy of it online yet, but I will. I will soon. Uh, Then Kevin Cooper, the DNA testing, additional DNA testing that was ordered by Governors Brown and Newsom in 2018 and 2019 has been completed. Okay. The results... I don't have the complete results firsthand, but based on the articles that I've read, there was no DNA recovered from the majority of the evidence that they tested. Mm-hmm. However, one of the items that they tested was a towel that had been found off the road near the tan T-shirt that was at issue. Right. And there was unknown male DNA found on that towel. However, the unknown male DNA does not belong to Lee Furrow. Hmm. It is unknown. Um, Based on, again, articles, it's been put into CODIS, but apparently CODIS has not kicked out any, any matching profiles. So my first... Basically, unknown male DNA. My first thought on this, Lisa, is how how really big a deal is this, just for the simple fact being somebody could have touched it? I mean, man. Yeah, Cooper's Cooper's attorneys are, are are holding it out as being exculpatory, but it really isn't. It's inconclusive. Right. Because the un- they have a sample, they have a reference sample from Lee Furrow that was taken by Cooper's expert or Cooper's FBI guy. Um, and so they, they can't blame, you know, the prosecutor or the sheriff's office. Cooper was allowed to get a reference sample from Lee Furrow through his own efforts. And the DNA on that towel does not match Lee Furrow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you have the T-shirt. They didn't find any habitual wearer DNA, um, which they had looked for in 2002, and and there was no DNA. Okay. So, um, so that is a, the the outcome is yet to be determined. Okay. And then Rodney Reed has filed a reply brief at the Fifth Circuit. Court of Appeal in his federal DNA appeal, and that was filed last last week sometime, I believe. Okay. 
So um, that is that's a, those are all the updates I could find. Obviously, I have a feeling our updates are going to be slow until this mess is over. Uh, Pretty much. You know, especially I think Louisiana is completely shut down now, isn't it? Has the governor yes. ordered the state shut down? Uh, well, I think they're keeping, again, essential personnel. Okay. Um, but I think most state departments, most courts, uh, those are all closed. Mm, okay. So um, they may be, you know, the courts may be keeping uh, skeleton-style crews for immediate criminal issues, immediate criminal cases, uh, restraining orders, things like that. But I think pretty much everything is on hold. Okay. And the governor has ordered an additional stay at home until April 30th. And that will be coming down later this week. Well, and I had a feeling that that would happen. I mean, hey, not that I'm knocking them or anything. It's always good to be optimistic in these situations, but I, I don't believe Easter was happening. Yeah. Well, we are, you know, we are per capita on the high end as far as reported cases, confirmed cases. Uh, today, the death toll is 239. Absolutely. Portland I think Parish is I could be second to New York, isn't it? Yeah, and New Orleans is an epicenter. Yeah. So, and the recriminations uh, that are going back and forth and around um, are uh, I don't I don't even want to get into because this is tonight we're talking about Selena Quintanilla Perez. Right. So, and let me open. I I took Spanish in high school and college. And I will make every effort to pronounce these names correctly. I apologize in advance if I mispronounce a name or if I uh, fail to pronounce it correctly throughout. So I think one of the things to understand who Selena Quintanilla Perez was, we had to look start by looking at the family that she came from. Absolutely. So uh, we start with her father, Abraham Quintanilla, was born in 1939 in Corpus Christi. His parents, I think, worked farm work and laborer, uh, but his dad eventually became a mechanic. Uh, they became Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, he went through, you know, he went through his early years. He left high school to pursue a music career in a band called Los Dinos, which I guess kind of colloquially translates to the guys. Um, They traveled around South Texas. They experienced a lot of prejudice. Um, They were doo-wop musicians or they, you know, they, their style preferred style was doo-wop music and the, the style of the fifties and sixties quote pop. And they played places that they were thrown out of because they didn't play the Tex-Mex style, which was popular in that part of the country. So then they had, you know, discrimination and prejudice from 
Anglo people, Anglo clubs, motels, things like that. So it was a very difficult, a difficult life for him, but it, he was a musician at heart. And I think he was an, an aspiring businessman as well. Uh, they did return, record an album and it did relatively well. Uh, but the band just did not take off. Um, Sometime in the late 50s, early 60s, he was drafted into the Army and stationed in Tacoma, Washington. And that is where uh, Abraham Quintanilla met Marcella Otelia Samora. Um, they fell in love. They dated. And they got married in June of 1963. He was discharged on the Army from the Army on the same day that his first child, son, A.B. Quintanilla III, was born. Okay. Uh, he was Abraham Quintanilla III, but he always was called A.B. Right. And uh, after his discharge from the Army, he moved the family back to Corpus Christi. He rejoined Los Dinos to pursue his music career. And uh, in 1967... His first daughter, Suzette Quintanilla, was born. Uh, her married name now is Suzette Quintanilla Ariaga, but she was Suzette Quintanilla at that time. Uh, he now had a wife and two children to support. Los Dinos was not uh, as successful as they might have liked it to be, and so he made the decision to leave Los Dinos they moved to Lake Jackson, Texas, which is near Houston in Brazoria County. And the, then he went to work for Dow Chemical. This was in the mm -hmm. late, I think, 1970-ish. So in 1971, Marcella went to a doctor, and she was told she had a tumor that needed to be removed. Uh, she and Abraham elected to get a second opinion, and it was that second opinion wherein she discovered that she was pregnant. And on April 16th, 1971, she gave birth to her child in a hospital in Freeport, Texas, which is near, in Brazoria County, near Lake Jackson. Um, mm -hmm. she, was con she was convinced that the child would be a boy. Everybody around her thought it would be a boy. So the plan name for the child would be Mark Anthony Quintanilla. <laughs> That's just However, kind of the child was a girl. Coincidentally, the lady in the room with um, Marcella was expecting a girl and had a girl's name picked out. And she and Marcella had talked. And so she found out the woman was going to name her daughter Selena. They liked Selena Quintanilla. It sounded good. And so they chose the name Selena Quintanilla oh, wow. for their daughter. Um, they lived in Lake Jackson. Uh, Abraham continued working at Dow Chemical, but it wasn't a satisfying job for him because his heart was in music. Right. And his heart and mind were in business. And so uh, he continued going through the motions to support his family. And then one day he was teaching A.B. how to play guitar. And Selena, who was about six years old, walked into the room 
and started singing. And he realized that she had a natural talent. She had perfect pitch, great timing, and she had a a strong, mature voice for her age. And so that's when he kind of started toying with the idea of Selena y Los Dinos, which is a band with Selena, Brother A.B. on bass guitar, and Sister Suzette on drums. Um, he did get some pushback from the kids who would rather be out playing and being kids than rehearsing and practicing. But right. they were good kids. And so they ultimately, they put their time in practicing and rehearsing and and developing their their talents. Um, in the 1980s, Abraham and Marcella opened the only Mexican restaurant in Lake Jackson, the first and only. It did incredibly well for the first year, but then in 1983, the recession hit, and they didn't have any reserves to get them through the slow times, and so they ended up losing the restaurant. Now, during that year, Selena y Los Dinos had played at the restaurant, and many people witnessed Selena's talent firsthand in that setting. Um, losing the restaurant and their home in Lake Jackson led to financial struggles for the family, and they ultimately went back to Corpus Christi, Abraham was taking jobs, any job he could get, odd jobs, to, you know, earn money. They were living with family. Um, and it it was difficult. And for him, it was him not being able to support his family. But right. he started with marketing Selena y Los Dinos. They played quinceañeras. They played on street corners. They played weddings. They played bar mitzvahs. They, you know, went around, traveled around to fair circuits. And one of the first things that faced them is, as talented as Selena was, the Tano music scene was dominated by men. Right, right. She was a woman. And so that in and of itself looked like this is going to be a difficult thing for her because she's a woman, so she is starting out at a disadvantage to a degree. They don't want to see the woman band. You know, they don't want to see the woman singer. They want to see the male bands. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Selena's talent in ni- between 1986 and 1989, Selena's talent, she dominated the Tejano Music Awards. Oh, I can imagine. Because she just, she, she had that talent. She had the stage presence. And for somebody her age, I mean, at that time, she's 15 to 18. And she was like she was an old soul, I think. Well, I'll tell you this much. Just the way she dealt with the world. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this much, Lisa. I don't know if in your research this week you went back and watched any of her old performances from like... Yes, I did. really old. Uh, They would let people on stage with her. I, I, yes, I watched, and she had a way with people that, I mean, 
it, it's just, it's, it was indescribable. Like she could make anybody feel at ease. She was at mm. ease with anybody. She loved people. And she was such a vibrant and happy young woman. And she thought everybody was as vibrant and happy as she was. Right. Um, but yeah, she just, she did. And, and I watched a bunch of them. In fact, I watched some of them with hairstyles that I saw. I thought, you know, Selena would probably have regretted. You're right. Were she around now to look at, um, and she was also, you know, she had a, a sense of fashion as well because it was in the 1980s, I think 84, 85, 86, she started designing the the uh, clothing for the be- the band herself and the band to wear on stage at every performance. Well, and I mean, I know we're and not I believe she and her mother and Suzette did that. Could you imagine the empire she would have built had she still been around today? Correct. My goodness. I, I agree. I totally agree. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Um, also, at 17, Selena did a, obtain a GED, and I found this on uh, an article. I don't know 100% that it's true, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it anyway. She was apparently accepted to LSU. Really? Wow. I don't know if this is true. It was in it was in one of the many many articles that I read. Um, Yeah, she was apparently accepted to LSU. Uh, This would have been about 1988. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. But uh, she ended up enrolling in another another university for business school. Mm -hmm. And I guess she did it kind of on a correspondence. Yeah, I was about to say, I can imagine her wanting to go to school. I don't know if she did get her degree or not, but I can imagine that just for the simple fact being her business was growing. Yeah, well, this at this time in, in about 19, we're about 1989, 1990, um, mm-hmm. she really, she had these aspirations, but she was still really entrenched in the music career. Right. Um. And there's a lot of claims and a lot of things I read um, about Abraham uh, pushing her and forcing her and forcing A.B. and Suzette into, you know, this this lifestyle. But really, I think all three children were immensely talented musically. And all three children loved music. And, you know, they may not have loved it when they were when they were kids. But they grew to love it, and it grew to be a big part of their lives. Um, A.B. was writing music and arranging and producing. Well, I was about to say. The albums that they put out during this period, A.B. was writing the music and arranging the music and producing the album. I don't know if you came across it, Lisa, but A.B. actually has a YouTube where he addressed some of that. And he said he was like, no, no. I absolutely loved music from the first time I picked up an instrument, you know, and he's still in right, business. Right. And like I said, as, as kids, when they needed to practice or rehearse, when they wanted to go out and play, yeah, sure, kids are going to balk at that. Right. 
but you know that's not forcing and i have to say too uh some of the things that i've seen some of the interviews that i saw i saw you know selena and suzette and ab both ribbing all ribbing their dad at, at one time or another oh yeah absolutely and for you know a controlling domineering parent you don't joke around with them mhm there's a story about a, a practical joke that Selena played. She got Oreo cookies, scraped out the, the filling, and put toothpaste in. And then put the plate out for the other people in the band to eat these cookies. And, you know, thinking, ooh, yum, Oreos, and they're not. Her dad <laughs> got the first cookie. He oh, ate God. the first cookie. And he was like, oh, it's mint. I love this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and everybody laughs. And and a controlling, domineering. I don't think Abraham was controlling and domineering. He was a protective father. He was sometimes overprotective with his daughters, but a lot of fathers are like, right. and it doesn't matter whether you're Latino or Anglo or French or German. A lot of fathers are protective of their daughters. Absolutely. Um, and he wasn't any more so than anyone else. Um. But like I said, they were all immensely talented. And Suzette on drums, you know, mm-hmm. not having a day of and, – and they didn't really have formal music lessons. Right. Absolutely. They learned from their dad, and they learned from playing and doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, all three kids had immense talent musically, and they had a love of music. Uh, around 1989-1990, Chris Perez, who was a friend of A.B.'s, he was originally from San Antonio, uh, was invited to join the band as a lead guitarist. And he and Selena, it was like sparks and love at first sight. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, after several months of trying to avoid it because of the situation of everybody in the band together as well as her father's reaction, which they knew would not be good, um, they started a relationship. They declared their love for each other, and they started seeing each other secretly. And uh, eventually, Abraham found out, and he forbid them to be together. And that, I would like to tell him, if I ever meet him, was the worst thing he could have done. Because he really didn't like the relationship. Telling Selena, who was his daughter, and he had a streak of stubbornness that he's somewhat known for, she did not fall far from that tree. Right. She could be stubborn as well. And um, so telling her, forbidding her, was like the worst mistake. If you really want to sabotage the relationship... As a daughter, fathers, if you really want to sabotage the relationship, pretend you love the guy to death. Right? Bring him into the family. Talk about him being your future son-in-law. Push your daughter to marry him. She will drop him like a hot freaking potato. Right. And I know of what I speak as a daughter. (laughs) So... um, it's around this time that Yolanda Saldivar attended a Selena concert, even though she didn't like Selena, allegedly. 
uh, in San Antonio, and then she fell in love. So she contacted Abraham and um, was very persistent about it and eventually got his permission to begin a, a fan club in San Antonio and that she would run it and she would do everything. And, you know, I have to say, initially, she did a good job. But once she met Selena and once she became a part of Selena's inner circle, that's when she started to abuse. And we'll get a little bit more into that later. So uh, Selena, in the meantime, Selena and Chris in April of 1992, they had been you know, carrying on the secret, meeting in secret. Um, They decided to get married. They knew they didn't have her father's blessing. So they went to a courthouse and they were married in a civil ceremony. They eloped. Uh, Initially, Abraham was upset. But then he loved his daughter so much. He put aside his misgivings. And one of the misgivings that he had was he was afraid Chris would make Selena leave her music career mm-hmm. and leave all her dreams behind to be a traditional wife. And really, he couldn't have been more wrong about Chris Perez because that wasn't Chris Perez. Chris Perez was as devoted to music as Selena was. Chris doesn't see playing guitar in a band as a job, as work. Music right. is something he's lived for. He so still records. He was actually the best mate for Selena. And he's not that personality. He's very unassuming. He's very shy. He's very quiet. He's non-confrontational. He's had some lapses in judgment as well, a young yeah. man, but who hasn't? So right. um, they go on um, Selena's popularity in Texas. She's popular in Texas, Mexico, and multiple parts of Latin America. She's becoming popular in Miami. Um, You know, she's becoming popular in California, all over the Southwest and Southeast. And and any, any community that has a large Latino population. And part of that was because she and A.B. and Suzette and Los Dinos were making music that combined all of the the aspects of Tejano, which is, you know, uh, kind of almost like the polka mm-hmm. music. And uh, cumbia, which is, um, is more rhythmic. It's a, diff- a different kind of rhythm, and I'm not sure so familiar with Cumbia that I'm not going to speak on it. But uh, right. hopefully if we have anybody listening and there's a caller out there, you can explain. Um, but in other forms, funk, disco, you know, they were just bringing all the best elements in and putting out really great music. So she goes, they travel to Mexico for a concert. And one of the things, um, Selena had been learning Spanish while her, she was a, a native English speaker, and they didn't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. She, A.B. or Suzette. Because they were third generation, and generally the third generation, it just fades. Whatever, whatever 
original language is there. Um, but she was learning Spanish, and they went to Mexico, and she wanted to do the press conferences, and she wanted to, you know, answer the questions in Spanish to, you know, I think to honor her hosts who mm-hmm. were going to be speaking Spanish. And right. Abraham has said he was concerned because they can be very tough on Mexican-American artists in Mexico. And they can be, you know, a little unforgiving for any mistake or any misstep of that person to the Mexican media. And there was a question asked by one of the, one of the reporters and Selena misunderstood it, and you could tell from her answer that she misunderstood the question, and Abraham thought, oh, dear, you know, they're going to tear her apart, but they didn't. They thought it was, you know, delightful and lovely that here she was trying to speak to them in Spanish. Um, one of the things that probably helped is that when Selena arrived at that press conference, she apparently went through and hugged every journalist. Right. And told them hello as she arrived. So she pretty much put everybody on the right foot by being so engaging and so um so generous. Absolutely. Of herself to them. So um they did do concerts in Mexico and, and there was a concert where the crowd rushed the stage and the stage was gonna was uh coming apart from the pressure of the crowd and people in the crowd were being injured and everybody left the stage. Of course that makes the crowd worse. And went back on stage with the band and she calmed the crowd down. Shocking. I mean, that's the concert. And I mean, that's the kind of presence that she had on stage and she had it when she was eight years old singing in Papagayo, the restaurant uh-huh. that her parents owned. Um, she just had that presence. She worked the stage. She worked from one side of the stage to the other. She had the dance moves. She had the voice. Um, like I said, she, in, in spite of not being a native Spanish speaker, she worked on pronunciation for the songs. She learned them phonetically. And then her dad and producers would tell her what the words translate them into English for her so that she could give them the feeling. Right. And she was flawless in that. And her voice is, like I said, just incredibly strong. And she puts Whitney Houston, Madonna... So many to shame. Mm, absolutely. She, her voice was that much better. Um, she had won, like I said, Tejano Music Awards in '86 to '89. In 1993, I believe, I could be wrong on the date. Um, she won her first Grammy for her Spanish language Selena Live album. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was incredible. The Grammys were in New York that year. She traveled to the Grammys. 
Um, one of the other things about her, about Selena, even as successful as she became, she remained that little girl from Lake Jackson or the mm. little girl from Corpus Christi. She continued right. to shop at the mall. She didn't have security. Um, I think the you know the family may have had security uh, to may have had the fence around the three houses that they owned in Corpus, but I mm-hmm. think that was more due to fans perhaps encroaching upon the residences. Right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It was meant as a security measure, but not. Because they were parents. No way and stay away from It me. was just if you if you find fans on your lawn one too many times, you put up a fence and you know, you can still greet them and see them and talk to them on the other side of the fence. Absolutely. Um, and I don't I don't know, I've seen the pictures of the houses. Um, again, Abraham owned three he bought three houses in Corpus next to each other. The family lived in one. When AB was, you know, had kids and a, a relationship, uh, a girlfriend, he lived in the other one. And then Selena and Chris, when they got married, they lived in the third house next door. Right. Um, again, this is an incredibly clo- close family. They went through hell when the restaurant failed and they lost everything. And now they I mean, own three. There's an article. There That's an American. article in Texas Monthly. There was an article in Texas Monthly magazine where they interviewed different people, and one of the things I think Suzette was talking about during the in the article was how at one point they were getting food stamps, and so their dad would take them to the grocery store at night, late at night, so that nobody would know they had to get food stamps. Wow. And so, of course, they're, you know, they're going to stay a close family, and they were a close family. I've got pictures on the page, and there's one picture on the page that I hope everybody sees. There's a picture of a young Marcella, Mm -hmm. and she, Selena, is the spitting image of that woman. Wow. Uh, You would think it was Selena. Oh, wow. So that is how close, and, and, you know, Suzette and Selena were both very close to their mother. Um, they were close to Abraham. They were close to A.B. I mean, they were just a a strong family unit, and there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, no, absolutely not. And it's not, it's not domination or control. If Abraham was that domineering and controlling, A.B. would have left when he turned 18, which would have been in 1990. No, he turned 18. He was born in 63. So he turned 18 in 1981. You said 63? He was born in 63. So he turned 18 in 1981. Yeah. Suzette would have left at 18. Selena would have left at 18. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, 
AB was 30 years old and still living next door to dad. And like I said, they, they had created a successful, and that's another thing, you know, Abraham managed them create, but AB and Selena and Suzette were as involved in the creation. And I don't no, think I, I you know, even say that enough. This was, I, this was their shared passion. I think it at one point, Abraham. I yeah. think at one point, Lisa, A.B. pretty early on came to his dad and was like, hey, I want to write some music. And his dad pretty much was like, okay, you're writing the music from now on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he did. He started writing the music, like I said, in the 1980s. Yeah. And I think he's credited on those Tejano Music Awards. Oh, I'm sure he is. 86 and 89. He's and he produced. Off. He's shown off yeah, his stuff. Yeah, he, you know, it's crazy. He's still writing music for people. Mm-hmm. Oh, he and Chris Perez, and and that's something, you know, I'll I'll touch on a little bit later. But yeah, he and Chris Perez continued their music careers, and um, you know, that's I think that's a testament to the fact that you know that's what that was their has always been their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then in early, late 1993, early 1994, Selena, her her fashion design dreams, she decided to go ahead and live that dream as well. And she opened uh, Selena Etcetera Boutiques. She opened the first one in Corpus Christi and then opened a second one in San Antonio. Uh, This is when Yolanda had kind of wormed herself into Selena's life and was actually, had been acting as kind of her assistant. And so Selena put Yolanda initially, I think, in charge of the San Antonio boutique. And then eventually, uh, Yolanda was put in charge of both Corpus Christi and San Antonio. And Selena began designing a clothing line. And she started working with a designer named Martin Gomez, who um, I think was the one who suggested that they could have the clothes manufactured in Monterrey, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And Saldivar apparently had contacts in Mexico, in Monterey, and so Selena put her in charge of working, or she helped Selena working to establish the manufacturing arm in Monterey. And part of that was because Yolanda Saldivar was fluent in Spanish, and Yolanda Saldivar could uh, help her in the business that she needed to do in Mexico. Right. Um, So that was in late 19, I guess mid to late 1994, uh, January 1995. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, why don't we go ahead, we kind of – It's a little early, but uh, 
Well, I guess we could go into we can go through one more phase, I guess. Okay. Um, in early 1995, probably maybe 1994, Selena appeared in the movie Don Juan DeMarco with Marlon Brando, Faye Dunaway, and uh, he who I will not name. And she played a mariachi singer. Mm-hmm. And I believe she also recorded music for the soundtrack. Hmm. Okay. And Abraham had been receiving intermittent complaints regarding people paying money to the fan club and not receiving the memorabilia that they were promised for joining the fan club. Usually a picture, an autograph picture, a CD, uh, you know, different uh, T-shirt, different things. Uh, but right. people were starting to contact him and say they didn't receive it. So he would ask Yolanda Saldivar, and, and he has said bluntly that she would lie and say, oh, I took care of that. Don't worry about it. And it started to kind of add up. And sometimes she would say, oh, you know, don't listen to them. They're just trying to get things for free. Mm-hmm. Um, or she'd lie and say, oh, I sent that, you know, don't worry about it. So it, it piled up and he eventually started investigating not only the fan club, but also the boutique accounts because the, the business at the boutique was struggling with cash flow problems. Hmm. Okay. And they were doing good business, but they just weren't making any profits. And Abraham, I think, had taken a kind of hands-off approach on the boutiques. He didn't necessarily approve, but I think it was more that he didn't want Selena spreading herself too thin. Right. She would throw herself into too much, cease to enjoy any of it. And then lose her, her place. Uh, no, no, no. She would she would lose. She would stop enjoying any of it. Right. Okay. And then she would lose her her drive to continue doing these things and succeeding. And so he took a kind of hands off approach, but he started investigating the boutique accounts, and he did find that the fan club. Uh, there were a lot of irregularities with that. The bank account was in Yolanda Saldivar's sister's name, and the sister's signatures and, and handwriting on the checks appeared to be Yolanda Saldivar's. Mm-hmm. I think he also found some fan club checks written not to the fan club, but to Yolanda. Oh, wow. And he also found problems with the boutique accounts. He found invoices that he couldn't identify the vendors. Uh, he found charges on the credit cards that were not business-related for Yolanda's, the credit card that Yolanda had for business purposes. Mm-hmm. And he found a lot of cash checks written by Yolanda that, like I said, just it, it didn't add up. The numbers weren't adding up. And 
I think personally, based on everything I've read, is that the reason the, the boutiques were struggling financially, cash flow wise, was because any profits they were making, Yolanda was either stealing or embezzling by creating false invoices. Hmm. Huh. Okay. So, and then um, in, on February 26, 1995, um, Selena gave her last concert at mm. the Houston Astrodome where she broke attendance records for her prior concert. And I believe she broke attendance records for a concert in the Astrodome. And the ticket sales broke records. I believe you're right, actually. I think I think she shoved and like 50,000 people in that Astrodome. Yeah, sixty something thousand. Yeah, it was it was it was a huge concert, and um, and um, so that was February twenty sixth, nineteen ninety five, and the the thing about the concert was it was a little bit of the English language pop music that Selena liked and wanted to sing. And some of her, you know, hits and Tejano standards that she had been singing for years. So it was a, it was a marriage of both genre and a successful one because the fans enjoyed it. The critics enjoyed it. Right. Uh, every right. single critic, like I said, critics said she put, you know, Gloria Estefan and Madonna to shame. Well, I mean, Lisa, you got to think at what time this was when she had this final concert, and I don't see it listed on here, but you got to think this is when that crossover album was getting ready to be released as well. So she was getting ready she, to make a splash. Yeah, she was getting ready to make a splash, but again, you know, this was when she wanted, even when she started becoming successful in Tano in the late 80s, and she'd say, well, let's do, you know, let's try and do English um, language. Let's try and cross over. And the record people would say, oh, no, 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 you know, that that's not going to go. That's not going to fly. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, you know, you're you're gonna lose your you're gonna lose your Tejano fans, and you're going to not be as successful because it's harder, even harder to be successful. Uh, but she proved them. She was about to prove them very, very wrong. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, like I said, as this concert showed, her 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 fans. She probably could have gotten up and sang a phone book. Oh yeah, and done it in a way that was that would touch every single person in the audience. Because that's the thing. I mean, I never met her in person. I've watched videos, I've watched concert performances, and some of those songs, it just touches you. Oh yes. Um, it's like Bitty Bitty Bomb Bomb. I chose that one for it's so light and and happy and you know 
Mm-hmm. Got a good beat. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'll, as a beautiful, as a beautiful song. I'll listen um, to her music. But I think understand the I, damn words you're saying, but I yeah, that was another struggle for me. I tried to watch, um, and this will come up a little bit later. I tried to watch some of the interviews, but they were in Spanish with no subtitles, and I can understand to a degree, but I don't understand entirely. Right, absolutely. Because I took Spanish, and I, if I had immersed myself in the culture and spoken it, I would have been fine. (laughs) Right. I didn't. I took it, and then I didn't use it. Right, absolutely. Um, My mother... My mother started traveling to Venezuela, and in advance of her trips to Venezuela, she would watch Spanish language TV. Really? Huh. Yeah. So that she could, you know, get her brain uh, back into understanding. Yeah. My dad became fluent in Spanish because he ended up in Panama for six months. Huh, that's cool. In an area that that didn't have a lot of English-speaking people. Mm-hmm. And so he had to go beyond Donde Está el Baño. Or Donde right. Está el Baño. <laughs> you know. Donde Está el Biblioteca. <laughs> that was always, and that's, a, that's another struggle for me. Uh, I I say this. I've forgotten the articles. I've forgotten which words are feminine, which words are masculine. So if I say la when I should say l, again, I apologize. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, he had to. He had to, you know, learn. He had to become fluent in order to be able to get food and drink and get people to do the work that he needed them to do. Right. Uh, because he was dealing with a grounded ship. Right. Makes sense. In Panama. And not in Panama City, where, you know, you're probably like 50-50 English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. It was in a part of Panama where very few people spoke English. Like, I think... Everybody at his hotel spoke English. Right. And 30% of the people at the site where they were trying to refloat the ship spoke English. But he had to deal with 70% who didn't. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back. We're going to... We're going to get into the events leading up to uh, Selena's murder. Mm-hmm. And um, so let's take a quick break. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Claire and Convincing. We'll have more for you right after this break.
June 29th, it's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. See Arkansas favorites like Cataclysm, Ace Muta, the original Misfit, Josh Cross, Suicide King, Ray Ray, Insane Shane, and current AWO champion D-Mike. As they battle for redemption this Saturday in Ola at 307 West Hill Street. Doors open at 530. Concessions will be available. And this is a family-friendly show with kids under six getting in free. It's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it. favorite too that is absolutely um, my favorite i'll sit here like a sounding like a complete white boy singing that song <laughs> yeah that's one thing i i do understand part of that when i i understand that uh but why does it hurt me or why does it hurt that's like como me duele Okay, okay. Or how See, it hurt. I'm pretty sure Kamala Floor, uh, just based upon context clues and uh, the movie, <laughs> I think it's like, something like a flower, I think is what it is. Well, yeah, that's that's uh, like flower. But the, the line, Kamala uh, me duele, how it hmm. hurts, maybe. Hmm. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. So, Thank you, Lee. And then Bitty Bitty Bomb Bomb. I love the video. The the video and then there's a video of a concert performance. That is and that's so another nice. thing I have to say. I haven't attended a lot of concerts in my life, but I do have attended enough to know that the performance in concert does not sound the album. Oh no, absolutely. But I mean, if you look, if you and listen yet, to live, let me finish. Let me finish my let me finish my statement. Selena 
her performances in concert sounded exactly like the albums. Well, that was the thing I was going to say about Como La Flor. <laughs> she, I mean, obviously it still sounds amazing. Don't get me wrong when I say this. But she kind of changes the tempo of the song live. And it's amazing. Um, well, I think it depends on the one you see. If you see the one that was in Mexico, she slowed it down. Mhm. To to kind of calm the crowd, right? And and lower the energy, right? Right. Before proceeding with the concert, but yeah, I I just yeah, she was just amazing, Absolutely. and I I I wish I'd lived in South Texas during that time, so uh, because she was just. So amazing. Absolutely. And so, all right, so we get to the events leading up to Selena's murder. March 9th, 1995, Abraham has looked at the fan club and boutique accounts. Uh, I think he's also discovered that there are records that should be available that are not. Mm-hmm. And he has found the irregularities in the checking account, a letter to the bank closing the account, but telling the bank they have to cover these checks. For Yolanda wrote uh, because someone named in the letter did not make a $3,000 deposit. So he brings Saldivar to the office of Q Productions, and he, Suzette, and Selena are there to confront her about these problems with the fan club and the boutique accounts. Um, One of the things he asks her about the letter is, who is this person that supposedly didn't make a $3,000 deposit and disappeared? And Saldivar says, I don't know who that is. Hmm. And Saldivar had been president of the fan club and didn't trust the treasurer of the fan club to handle the finances of the fan club, but she's letting some person she doesn't know take a $3,000 deposit to the bank. Um, One of the flaws in Yolanda's uh, way of of looking at things is that it doesn't make a damn bit of sense. None. All right. Um, she's manipulative, so she's going to say what she has to say to either deflect blame, she's going to say what she has to say to make you feel sorry for her, or she's simply going to say, I don't know what you're talking about, but if you give me some time, I can I can explain it to you. Come up with um, a lie, basically. Y- Yolanda Saldivar is one of those people that 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 her truth – would be used for (laughs) and her truth and reality have no relationship with each other. Right. Right. So, um, they had the meeting. Uh, she looked to Selena and, and another betrayal in this is Yolanda Saldivar had gotten close to Suzette 
Yolanda had been a bridesmaid in Suzette's wedding uh, just a few months before. And so she betrayed not only Selena, but Suzette. Wow. Um, I think Abraham always had, he knew something wasn't quite right, but he couldn't put his finger on it. And even when he became really concerned, um, Selena was too trusting. Mm-hmm. And even at this point, Selena was hurt. And Sadovar at one point did look to Selena. And Selena's like, you're on your own. I want answers to this, too. So Sadovar storms out. On March 10th, um, Selena and her husband Chris went to the bank to remove Saldivar's name from all the bank accounts. Saldivar was replaced as the fan club president. And at one point that day, Abraham saw Saldivar at the Q Production Properties and chased her off. And he believes that from March 9th, she was planning and made multiple attempts to kill Selena. I've heard, I've heard that, and of course, we all know this is going to be, you know, speculation at this point. But I heard at one point he legitimately thought that she wanted to kill him as well. I had not read that. I think that he's always thought that that Yolanda knew the way to hurt him the most was Selena. Right. Um, on March 11th. Uh, uh, Saldivar purchased a gun in San Antonio at a place called the Place to Shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, however, now this is another thing. Saldivar, when she purchased the gun, she gave different reasons. She told the, the gun shop owner that she was a hospice nurse, which was a lie because she wasn't. She had a nursing license but she hadn't worked as a nurse since she started the fan club. Mm-hmm. Or since shortly after starting the fan club. Um, she told the, him that she was a hospice nurse and a family member was threatening her. The next day she returned the gun and said her father had given her a gun. Then on March 13th, Sadovar visited her attorney to write a resignation letter to Selena. And after that, she traveled to Corpus Christi. On March 14th, she scheduled a meeting with Selena to return business documents for the boutiques. Um, And she wanted Selena to meet her at some location several miles from Corpus Christi. Uh, At that meeting, Selena told Saldivar that she could remain in charge of setting up the factory or the manufacturing operation in Mexico, in Monterey. And that apparently was okay. So Selena was not cutting her out of Saldivar, out of her life at that point. So on the 15th... um, Wait, I have her returning the gun again. Yes, yeah, she, she she returned. I, I 
He re- she returned it on the twelfth. I had the dates wrong. Uh, apologize for that. Okay. <laughs> and then <laughs> on uh, the twenty sixth, Sadovar and Selena were in Mexico, and while they were in Mexico, Sadovar stole, I guess, financial records that she returned on the fourteenth. She stole those from Selena again. Oh dear lord! So she's taking she's taking records. She's holding on to records. She's giving her some records and then taking them back, and it's just crazy. She's just doing whatever she can to give to make Selena have to remain in contact with her. Absolutely. And as a manipulative, as a manipulative bitch, she's doing what she knows Selena needs the most, so that Selena will be nice. Uh huh. And perhaps she thinks that, you know, Selena's going to change her mind. So on the 27th, uh, Yolanda Saldivar repurchases the the first gun at the same place in San Antonio with a second story, and I can't quite remember what it was. But it was a totally different story and had nothing to do with Abraham Quintanilla. Um, Right. And then she goes back to Corpus Christi and arranges a meeting with Selena at another motel in Corpus. When Selena arrives at the motel, luckily, fans end up mobbing her and drawing too much attention to her. And this is what Abraham Quintanilla believes is the second attempt, or was supposed to be the second attempt, but was... uh, Thwarted by Selena's fans. On right. March 30th, uh, Sadovar tries to arrange another meeting with Selena at, um, I guess, the Days Inn in Corpus Christi. Selena mm-hmm. arrives at the motel with her husband Chris waiting for her in the truck. And so uh, Sadovar gives Selena records, claiming that those are the records she needs. The the business records were ones that Selena needed to f- prepare and file the 1994 income tax returns for the Selena boutiques. Right. Um, without the records, and, and none of the documents really describe exactly what the records were, but they were probably profit-loss statements, invoices, expenses, income, bank records, you know, any number of financial documents to uh, put together the 1994 taxes, which were due on April 15th, 1995. Um, Then at some point, I guess after Selena leaves, Saldivar calls Selena and claims that while she was in Monterey on the 29th, she was raped and beaten. Which she didn't tell her earlier. Right, absolutely. And she says, I need to go to the hospital. Chris Perez apparently told Selena, you're not going out back there tonight. Yeah. So Selena tells Saldivar, I'll come get you tomorrow. We'll take you to the hospital tomorrow. On March 31st, 1995, at about 7.30 in the morning, Selena got up, 
and she got dressed and she went back to the motel. She picked up Saldivar and took her to the hospital. Uh, the doctors in the hospital found no evidence that she had been raped. They found no evidence consistent with any of the allegations she made about the guys beating her with a baseball bat, assaulting her with a wooden... None of those things. Like, Sadovar was just making up this story, I think, to try to get sympathy from Selena. Oh, absolutely. And at one point, at one point during the exam, Selena was standing at the head of the bed. And mm-hmm. as she's listening to the story, Yolanda's telling the doctors, she's shaking her head because it's not what Yolanda told her. Right. I was about to say, I remember somebody saying something like she, was, she wasn't buying it in the least bit. Right. And the, the timeline, she claimed it happened on the 29th of March. But the timeline for when she was in Mexico and when she arrived in Corpus Christi doesn't work, especially given that she claims the guys left her by the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And that she had to go to San Antonio and get the truck, the red truck that she was driving, to come to Corpus Christi. And the timeline just does not work, even pardon me, even driving 100 miles an hour. Right. And not stopping, excuse me, the whole way. So uh, they leave the hospital, go back to the hotel, and I think that was the point where Selena, as, as kind and caring as she was, suddenly realized she had been taken advantage of. Oh, absolutely. In way too many ways. And I, I think that's, that's when she felt betrayed and hurt. Because this is a woman that she told her dad, she's like a sister. She wouldn't take money from me. Uh-huh. And then she did. And, you know, she's like a sister. She would never hurt me. And she did. She absolutely and did. So... Uh, probably, and you know, this is, it's difficult because Yolanda Saldivar is the only one who is alive to tell the story. And Yolanda Saldivar, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, is nothing but a manipulative liar. She's a person who is unwilling of belief. She has no credibility. So whatever she says happened is probably basically the version that she thinks is going to put the blame somewhere else. Because her claim is that there was nothing wrong and they went back to the hotel and then she decided she was going to kill herself. She took the gun out of her purse, put it up to her head, and the, the gun went off by accident. That's her story. And that she never had the gun to hurt. You know, I, I got to say, you don't have an issue like that at your employer. And when you, you know, go out and buy a gun, you don't do that. No, Unless you mean to hurt somebody else. 
women don't generally shoot themselves. No, they don't. I mean, you know, majority of the time they overdose. Sometimes they'll hang themselves. Sometimes they'll jump. But, you know, very, and, and if you don't already have a gun, you know, if they already have a gun, then they'll shoot themselves. But they will not go buy a gun. So, um, so probably what happened was Selena confronted Saldivar about the money, the missing records, the betrayal. Um, one article I read is that Selena had trusted Saldivar so much that she had let Saldivar hold on to a diary because she didn't want her family. Now, this could be entirely, entirely a fabrication Maybe. on Saldivar's part. Right. But um, they can. She confronted her. She wanted those records. Perhaps Saldivar was saying, "I don't have them. I don't have them." And Selena started looking for him, and that pissed Saldivar off. And then Selena told Saldivar, "You're out. You're done. Right. Don't Absolutely. contact me. I'm not contacting. We're done." And that's when Saldivar pulled the gun. And as Selena probably saw the gun, decided to to just leave. Oh. Yeah, and I, I don't think it was even bolting. It's like you're pulling in a, a gun. Maybe for show, Sadovar pulled the gun and put it to her head. Mm, and oh, Selena's yeah. like, "Okay, I'm out of here." Goes to the door. The door was partially open, and Sadovar shot her. And there's evidence of blood spatter inside the door, as well as on the outside of the door. The mm-hmm. bullet entered in her in Selena's back, so her back was turned. It went through, and in the process of going through, it severed the subclavian artery. Right. Now, Lisa, obviously I know you're not a medical <clears throat> expert by any stretch, but uh, one thing I had actually seen on one of these documentaries or crime shows that they did about it, a doctor uh-huh. said that had she, and of course we're talking about a situation that would never be able to happen, <clears throat> but he said had she remained calm, she probably would have survived. He said the accelerant, accelerated heartbeat is what pushed the amount of blood out. Well, I, I, I think that is, you know, had it been an accidental shooting, had she been safe, remaining with Yolanda Saldivar because it was an accident. Right. Um, potentially, but an a severed artery, you bleed out from that in a couple of minutes. Okay. No matter how calm you are, because the artery, a vein is a, a lower pressure, mm-hmm. I believe. But an artery is a relatively high pressure, and an artery, the blood comes out with your heartbeat, and it comes out, right. you know, in pretty high volume. So maybe I misunderstood what he was saying. Maybe he was saying it accelerated her dying by her heart rate obviously increasing. But I, I right. But you're gonna what, have and being, I think being even being shot, you're gonna have a rush of adrenaline. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, 
And that's what accelerates the heartbeat. So even if she had been, like I said, if she'd been safe remaining where she was, I think more likely than not, she would have bled out in the ambulance on the way to the hospital or she would have arrived in the hospital and there would have been little to nothing that they could do for her. Right. Um, And, you know, they probably, even if she had remained calm and stayed right there, they would have had a hard time establishing an IV because her veins, because an artery, like I said, an artery artery releases a high volume. And they got there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing, though, is that what you may be thinking of is had the bullet hit her a millimeter lower or a millimeter higher, she would have survived. Right, right. But it hit her and it transected that artery. You know, I just to, to kind of give you an idea, we had a family friend who was in surgery to remove scar tissue from somewhere that it was causing problems. The Mm -hmm. surgeon could not visualize the field and he nicked an artery in the abdomen. Right. And even in a hospital surgery, she bled out before they could repair the nick in the artery. And this was a, it was a severed artery. It was cut clean through. Right, right. It wasn't just a nick in the artery. So, you know, and I I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't mean to be graphic. Oh no, absolutely. Um, but it was it, it was pretty for tough. anyone listening, you know, um it was and like I said a millimeter, you know, up or down, left or right, it it, it would have been a she would have had a better ch- a better chance of survival. Oh yeah, it would have but definitely still been some bitch. But what, I mean, what we also have to remember is that under those circumstances, this was not an accidental shooting. Selena was not safe to remain in front of the door of room 158 at the Days Inn Hotel Motel. Oh no, absolutely not. After being shot, she was not safe because as Selena fled the room. Saldivar pursued her, pointing the gun at her back. And Saldivar was observed by multiple hotel workers and was heard by one to yell, bitch. Yeah, I was about to say, from what I understand, apparently she was yelling bitch at her, too. So, um, Selena was not safe. Selena had to get away. Um, And... Again, being shot, even if it's an accident, you're you're adrenaline. You're going to have a dump of adrenaline, and your heart rate is going to speed up. Now, if you're safe and you can try and calm yourself down, but 
an artery, you're going to, you're going to be in very, very, you know, serious condition very quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, She, Selena reached the motel lobby. She collapsed. She was able to say she'd been shot. She was able to identify the person who shot her and say that she was in room 158, and then she lost consciousness and never regained consciousness. An ambulance uh, or an EMTs arrived within about a minute of the phone call from the lobby. They worked on her. They did a wrap and run, and they got her into the ambulance. It was like a five-minute drive to the hospital. They got her to Memorial Hospital, rushed her into the ER, or rushed her into the emergency room, and the doctors did everything that they could. But she had just lost too much blood, and they were unable to reestablish, you know, circulation or or uh, respiration. Lisa, that is one thing I want to point out. I mean, if you have, if you don't have a vein that can support an IV, which, like I said, you didn't mention it in, uh, I guess, your research, you didn't see anything about it. But from what I understand, based upon what this crime show was saying. When they got there, her veins were done. Like they couldn't put an IV right. in or anything. Correct. So I mean, correct. The doctors when the much- EMTs when the EMTs got there, they could not establish an IV to give her fluids. Um, and I don't even think in she had some a state. Wait, wait. Let me. Let me. Wait, wait, wait. Let me. Let me. Let me finish. <laughs> in some jurisdictions, in some states. Uh, paramedics can do a cut down where they they you know they can't get a vein, so they get access. Well, I, I, I don't know. If maybe cut downs are only can only be done in a hospital. There is a way of you know opening the arm, opening the vein, putting the needle fluids in, and getting it started. But but sometimes that has to be done by a doctor. I think some some uh, some states and, and paramedics can do a somewhat invasive attempt to establish mm-hmm. a line, but I don't think they could in this particular situation in Corpus Christi. It dep- if they're EMTs, they can't do it. Right. If they're paramedics, they can. And it's going to vary from state to state to state. But uh, uh, as I understand it, in the hospital, they actually opened her chest and tried to get blood going directly into her heart. Yeah, I think they were massaging her heart. And that even that didn't work. It's a lot like Princess Diana. Right. You know, she right. had she had some kind of internal bleeding that just. By the time they got her to the hospital, she bled to death. Yeah, she had a cardiac tamponade, I believe. So uh, in the meantime, Yolanda Saldivar has tried to leave the motel in her red truck. So Yolanda Saldivar is not calling 911 and saying, oh, my God, I just accidentally shot my best friend. Please send help. 
she's getting in her truck and she's confronted by a police officer arriving who asks her if she was involved in the shooting and she says, no, let me leave. And he's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't let you do that. And that's when she pulls the gun and puts it to her head and threatens to kill herself. Right. Can you imagine being that During the next nine and a half hours, several officers as well as two hostage negotiators from the Corpus Christi Police Department uh, speak to Yolanda Saldivar. The early hours of the standoff were not recorded. However, uh, later, I think about hour six was recorded. And I've listened to the majority of those recordings. And my interpretation is that it's just Yolanda trying to find a way to get herself out of trouble. Yeah. It was holy crap. I just um, got she's, she's blaming Abraham Quintanilla. She's making accusations against Abraham Quintanilla. And one of the things is that during that time, she never says Selena. She always says, my friend, my best friend. She was like a daughter to me. But she never calls her name. She never says her name. And I frankly do not believe that she ever, ever intended to kill herself. Oh, no. um, I think that her threats were to try to garner sympathy. Mm, I think yeah. in her twisted little brain, she thought when she put that gun up to her head, that police officer was going to let her just drive away. Yeah. I wouldn't and doubt it. also during those early parts of the con- of the conversation with the hostage negotiator, she does admit to shooting Selena. And it's not until hours later, after they suggest that maybe it was an accident, that she starts to say it was an accident. Ah. Um, and I remember I got home from work, was having my dinner, turned on MTV, and I, I said this at the beginning, but I'll repeat it. I watched this on MTV as it was unfolding toward the last, I want to say probably 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, nine and a half hours, if you really were going to kill yourself, why, why would you not kill yourself? Why, why would you continue threatening and threatening and threatening? You know, frankly, if that's really what she intended to do all along, I would expect that after Selena was shot and ran, that she would kill herself in the motel room. Because that's how a lot of the murder-suicide situations play out. Or, hell, why didn't she do it when she found out Selena was pa- had passed away? Yeah. Well, that's well. The the hostage negotiators, when the news came over on the radio station that Selena had passed away, because Selena was declared dead. She was shot at about eleven forty eight a.m. She was declared dead at one o five p.m. 
when Sadovar heard that, they the hostage negotiators told her not to believe it. Now, in in defense of the hostage negotiators, they really they can't have a woman committing suicide in front of cameras because cameras were all over the place. Right, absolutely. Every news agency in South Texas rushed to Corpus Christi. Um, and I would I would would not be surprised if you know Dallas and uh, Fort Worth and uh, San Antonio didn't rush over to Corpus Christi that day. Yeah. Um, so you know they didn't they didn't want her committing suicide while they're negotiating with her. Uh, but like I said, if her if her if her claims of wanting to commit suicide were serious, I would I would have expected her to commit suicide immediately after shooting Selena. Mm-hmm. If that was really what it was all about, once she shot Selena, if that was really where she had been had been going, I would have expected it to happen right there in that room. Or even when she was initially confronted by the officer. But again, that's not where she was going. It was never where she was going. She does not want to harm herself. Mm-mm. I think she's a borderline personality like Jodi Arias. Really? In her mind, she's way too important. She's way too important. And Selena, you know, was was just a means to an end. Because with Selena, she had, you know, the 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 access to stars and the star lifestyle and access to unlimited money it's as she saw it. the self-importance thing because i watched mm-hmm. an interview with her that the news organization played back for a psychiatrist and she was talking about a secret that selena supposedly told her and she would she refused to give it back. And the psychiatrist said he doubts she knows a secret about Selena that she probably is just saying that to make herself feel important. Correct. I agree. I don't believe that there was any secret. I don't believe that she knows any secret. Um there's a uh a Spanish language reporter, Maria Celeste, um, and I can't I, I can't remember her last name. I know who you uh, who wrote a book called Selena's Secret and you know, it, it it was a kinda waste of time to read because she never actually reveals the secret because of some sense of confidentiality she feels toward Yolanda. Hmm. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me, woman. Mind you, Don't call it Selena's Secret and then not reveal the freaking secret at the end. <laughs> you right. Know? And I mean, it's and it's probably more likely than not coming from Saldivar. Whatever it is, it's probably a lie. Probably. You know. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't believe Yolanda Saldivar is one of those people, and I I know with me there's a long list of people, but let's put her on that list. I wouldn't believe her if her tongue came notarized. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree. I I wouldn't believe any document that she produces 
to support or corroborate her claims because I wouldn't put it past her to forge documents. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I just, like I said, so after nine and a half hours, uh, Saldivar finally surrendered. Um, the hostage negotiators blessed their hearts. They, they were trying to, you know, get her to just walk toward them. They were going to quietly take her into custody. But apparently her little rat brain was thinking after she got out of the truck and had left the gun in the truck, she was thinking of maybe making a run for it. Um, oh, she was God. hesitating in following, you know, the, the hostage negotiator's instruction to come to him. And so a SWAT member tackled her, or several SWAT members tackled her, Good. and took her into custody. <laughs> and um, I, I, I remember you couldn't really see it from the angle, but mm-hmm. you know you kind of saw her, kind of a little speck, and then you saw helmets and just boom, they're gone. <laughs> you know, so. Um, and she was arrested and charged with – I don't believe that they charged her with capital murder. Which shocks me. So explain I believe they charged her with first-degree murder. Um, in Nueces County and, – and this also may be the fact that they didn't have a, an underlying felony – to elevate it to capital murder. Yeah, but pre-med is obvious in this case, Lisa. But that's not, capital murder is not just premeditation. Capital murder is generally a police officer in, in uh, executing his duties. Uh, okay. A child under the age of 12 or 8 or 6. Multiple so would it not, fro- not be a felony? No, I don't think it's a felony, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a sufficient underlying felony. Okay. It's not armed robbery. It's not rape. It's not kidnapping. Um and those are generally armed robbery, rape and kidnapping are generally the underlying felonies that elevate it to capital murder when a death occurs. Okay. They charged her with first-degree murder. Um, it's also, it, it more likely than not would have been problematic even if they had capital murder, charging her with capital murder for death of someone with a celebrity status. Right. Because it would have made to been made to appear to be Revenge and retribution rather than justice. So um, that is likely. So she was never death penalty eligible. Okay. Uh, Like I said, and, and, you know, the prosecutor, even if there's an underlying felony, the prosecutor still has discretion if he charges capital murder whether to seek the death penalty or not. Do you believe that it should have been? Do you believe that there's no for it? No, 
I, because, like I said, I don't believe there was an underlying felony sufficient enough that elevated it to a capital murder, death penalty eligible, capital murder. Um, there wasn't a kidnapping because Selena had gone willingly, and it wasn't even it, it wasn't even that she had gone there under false pretenses. Now, if they'd gotten in, if they'd gotten in. Yolanda Sotovar's truck and they were supposed to go to the hospital and they went somewhere else and Mm -hmm. Yolanda was driving then yeah that would have been a kidnapping but they were in Selena's truck Selena was driving Selena came to the hotel you know Sotovar shot her when she was trying to leave but did not prevent her from leaving. Ah, There's no evidence that she prevented her from leaving prior to that. Gotta love technicalities. Right. Well, and, and it's the... There's no evidence because Selena is not here to tell us everything that happened. Right. And everything that Saldivar said and did. Moment for moment. Um. So... And and you know all we have is Saldivar. So, um, Selena's funeral was, I believe, was April second of nineteen ninety five. There were thousands in attendance. The the funeral was televised on Selena's twenty fourth birthday. Governor George W. Bush declared it Selena's Day, uh, which was April 16, 1995. Some people resented that because it was Easter, but, you know, Easter, Selena was born on Easter, and Easter was her day. So I think it was fitting. Absolutely. And I'm glad that he did it. At, if not every year on April 16th, at least that year on April 16th. Um, public sentiment was understandably very, very anti Yolanda Sandovar. I read an article that there were rumors that gang members were trying to raise bail to bail Yolanda out of jail. And then kill her. It's a rumor. I don't know if it's true. But uh, people were surrounding the courthouse. When the trial, the venue was changed from Nueces County to Harris County because they could not have sat an impartial jury in Nueces County. Um, People surrounded the courthouse at Harris County with signs and very angry. And this was just after the trial began in October 1995, just after O.J. Simpson's acquittal. So it was big. Um, another uh, another uh, writer that I, I read an article to the Latino community in Corpus and South Texas and Mexico, all all over the world. Um, it may March thirty first, nineteen ninety five, is like 
the day of the Kennedy assassination for most Americans. November 22nd, 1963, a day that lives in infamy. Right. And uh, so they got the change of venue. The trial began in October of 1995. The prosecution case, they had motive. They had a dual motive. They had the embezzlement established by Abraham Quintanilla during his investigation of the fan club and boutique records. And then they also had other witnesses who testified that Yolanda Saldivar was obsessed with Selena. She had her apartment was like a shrine to Selena. And so losing her connection to Selena would have been cause for her to basically decide if I can't have her, nobody can. I don't think, now contrary, there are a lot of allegations out there. I don't believe that it was ever erotomania or that she was sexually in love with or attracted to Selena. But I think it was more Selena was everything that she wasn't. And she right, wanted she to be that. like Selena. And she wanted to have Selena's life. Um, and it's funny that she makes these allegations against Abraham Quintanilla about him being domineering and controlling. And yet Yolanda Saldivar is the one who controlled access to Selena. And in the last 18 months, you know, even her friends had a hard time getting through Yolanda to talk to her or see her. Martin Gomez left before his contract with Selena expired because he could not stand working with Yolanda. It was like, and it was like a competition. Anybody Selena was close to or seemed to be close to, Yolanda tried to push them out of Selena's life. So, a lot like Jody Arias, too, Yolanda tends to project her fault flaws and faults onto other people. So, you know, you say Abraham Quintanilla interfered with your relationship with Selena. I think that you interfered with Selena's relationships with everybody in her life. You know, so um, that was, you know, that was the the motive, the means. They had the, you know, the records and testimony regarding the purchase of the gun that was used to kill Selena. The opportunity, I mean, there's no doubt that Selena and Yolanda Sadovar were the only two people in that room at the day's end. The blood spatter inside the door and on the outside door because it was partially open. You know, that shows that Selena was shot as she was in the doorway, moving out, out of the room. And the only person in the room was Yolanda. And then they had Yolanda's admissions during the standoff that she shot Selena, or that she shot her best friend. You know, she didn't mean to hurt her, but she shot her and she killed her and, 
you know, all kinds of things. Um, and I think also some of those statements and some of the crying and wailing on the on the during the standoff was just her attempt to maybe lessen her culpability. To make it sound like she was unhinged. Right. She was very calculated and cold. And then her de- her entire defense was that it was an accident. And the mm-hmm. gun went off all by itself when she took it out and put it to her head. And Selena went to close the door, and she told her to get away from the door, and the gun just went off. But, you know, why would you have a gun... And why would you take it out of your purse? Yeah, exactly. There was no point for her to... She knew what she was doing, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, um, excuse me. The jury deliberated about two hours, and then um, they came back, and they found Yolanda guilty of first-degree murder. At her sentencing, uh, the most notable testimony was from a doctor that Yolanda had worked for during the 1980s, I think around 1983, who said that Yolanda had stolen or embezzled $9,200 from his practice. Um, He was going to charge her criminally. And so she worked out some kind of deal to pay the money back and avoided criminal charges. In this case, Selena's, uh, Abraham was threatening to take the information he had to police and have them investigate her for embezzlement. Because it was to the tune, uh, I don't know what it was for the, the fan club, although it was probably a lot because it was $22 a piece and hundreds of members who complained. But the the boutiques, I think it was about $60,000. So that's a significant amount of money, and she would have been facing some significant criminal charges. Right, but I mean, Lisa, so, not saying that she was thinking correctly, but I mean, murder or fraud and embezzlement? Murder, fraud, or well, embezzlement? Well, well... It wasn't fraud. She had authority to deal with the money and write the checks. It's embezzlement because she took money and diverted it to herself for her own use rather than using the money for legitimate business purchases, purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it may, and, and it can also be embezzlement if you say, um, oh, I need to write a $5,000 check to this caterer and the caterer doesn't exist and the $5,000 check goes into your bank account. Or you have a $5,000 bill to the caterer, you Mm -hmm. write yourself a check for $5,000, you make it look like you wrote the check to the caterer and the caterer's bill is never paid. Okay, so, so that's not you're fraud. diverting. That's right? That's not that. That's kind of 
if you have authority to do the checks, it's fraud if you're if you're taking checks from your business and you're forging signatures on them. I guess it's fraud if you if you create a non-existent caterer. Okay. But it's embezzlement if you divert the funds to yourself rather than paying a vendor. Now, has she ever faced any criminal charges for that? No. Why not? No. They. She sure. was convicted of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. Um, initially, they were – Nueces County – district attorney's office was I think looking at whether or not they were going to charge her with the embezzlement uh, from the fan club and the boutiques but mm-hmm. I think that they elected not to not to charge her because there wasn't sufficient evidence they had the records didn't they well they may not have all the records Oh, because yeah. remember, okay. Yolanda Saldivar took a lot of records. Yeah, Selena was a... killed trying to retrieve records. So Abraham Quintanilla was able to gather some records, but may not have been able to gather sufficient records to for a DA to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Yolanda Saldivar committed a crime of embezzlement. Right. So um, that was, you know, and again, you're looking at if they had gone after it, they would have had to change to another venue and a venue without a a big Latin American community or a Latino community because Yolanda Saldivar is not a popular person with any Latinos. There's a a comedian named Angela Johnson, and she's uh, from San Jose, California. She's Mexican Native American, and she was in a movie called Our Family Wedding with Lupe Ontiveros, who played Yolanda Sadovar in the Jennifer Lopez Selena movie. Mm -hmm. And in her one of her you know comedy acts, she talks about Our Family Wedding. And she's like, and with the woman who killed Selena. And then goes on and talks about it. And I'm sure she's a wonderful woman, but I didn't turn my back on her. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, even now, um, I joined a Facebook group. If anyone there is from that group is listening, thank you very much. And, um, you know, they don't want to talk about her. They don't want to hear about her. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a majority about Selena and only about Selena. I think so, a majority of uh I think a majority of Selena fans refuse to even acknowledge her by name. Correct. She's she who must not be named. Yeah. You know, she's like Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. Um, so uh Yolanda filed a direct appeal. And she had a few claims. One of them was a Batson claim for exclusion of African-American jurors. However, um, the 14th District Court of Appeal found that her attorneys did not follow the proper procedure to preserve the claim. 
apparently in Texas, excuse me, the attorneys get a list and they submit a list of uh, peremptory challenges to the judge. And at that point, that's when you have to raise an objection to challenges of one side or the other. And that was not done. They waited until the jury had been sworn and seated. And then her attorney stood up and said, oh, by the way, we have a Batson challenge because the district attorney excluded these African-American jurors. Um, The trial court found that they didn't preserve it. And so there's no, um, there is no explanation from the prosecutor as to the reasons for striking, except with exception of one juror, who was struck basically because she was caretaker for a, an ailing husband or an ailing relative, and she really could not be in court. She didn't know how. She wanted to know how long the trial was going to be because she really mm-hmm. couldn't be there. Um, and then she raised issues regarding. Um, Argument of counsel and and uh, a couple of other things. They, they weren't really they weren't really well well pleaded or well raised or well argued, and so the conviction and sentence were were confirmed, were affirmed, and her petition for discretionary review was refused by the Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the highest criminal court. Um, she claimed to have filed a state post-conviction writ in Nueces County in September of 2000. However, there was no post-conviction writ on file in Nueces County. That was the improper county at the time because she was actually tried in Harris County, and Harris County had no record of it. Um at one point, she submitted a, uh, a green card from the Postal Service, return receipt card, and it didn't indicate what was sent to the uh, district court, and there was no evidence on the legal docket from the prison of her ever sending anything to the court in Noises County. So um, without any evidence, her deadline to file a state post-conviction writ expired in November of 2000. And without any evidence of the actual writ that was supposedly filed in September of 2000, because apparently she didn't keep a copy, um, there was no state post-conviction filed. Mm-hmm. She uh, she did file a writ of mandamus with the state with the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals uh, regarding the non-existent state post-conviction writ, and that was dismissed after inquiry by the Court of Criminal Appeals with the court in Oasis County. In 2008, she filed a very 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 late federal habeas corpus petition. Okay. Uh, because she filed the state post-conviction writ 
in supposedly in 2000 and nothing happened in 2008 she starts inquiring with the court of criminal appeals about status of her 2000 writ mm-hmm. and then um then files a federal habeas but by then it was you know like seven years too late because if you don't hear anything about your state post-conviction writ you know that you file in September of 2000 by 2001 is when you really should start trying to inquire as to what's going on yeah you probably um, should and like I said you know once again it's Yolanda Saldivar she did it pro se she didn't keep a copy. Oh, good God. That she could have filed with the Court of Criminal Appeals to say this is what I filed. And like I said, she should have started asking those questions in 2001. Oh, oh, Maybe 2002. Mm-hmm. But she waited and didn't start asking the questions till 2008. So her federal habeas writ was dismissed. because it wasn't timely. Mm-hmm. Um, then she attempted to file a couple of successive state post-conviction writs, uh, which were all dismissed. She filed a claim against, a 1983 claim against the Department of Texas Department of Corrections because she fell from the top bunk and they denied her treatment, which was not true. She was seen by a nurse. And then in 10 days, when the doctor came in, he saw her, and she was provided all the treatment that she needed. Um, and that was a claim at the U.S. District Court that was dismissed, and the Fifth Circuit affirmed the dismissal And in 2017. And then in 2018, there was apparently an interview done by Carlos Valdez on Univision, and I watched it, and he he did, bless his heart, he did part of it in English, so I understood those parts. But then he did a lot of it in Spanish, and I did not understand what he was really? talking about in Spanish. But it dealt with he was going through the evidence boxes in, at the Nueces County uh, Court, District Court, and one of the items that he had, he displayed, were the tennis shoes worn by Selena. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, again, when he spoke about these tennis shoes, he was speaking Spanish. And there were no English subtitles. So I don't know what, the, what he said about the tennis shoes. Mm-hmm. He also displayed um, other bits of evidence. He played the... Uh, the standoff tapes and things like that. Um, he talked about some other evidence and, you know, some of that was in English, some of it was in Spanish. Then in 2019, Yolanda Saldivar filed state and federal claims alleging new evidence and Brady violations because the tennis shoes were not admitted as evidence at her trial. The fuck? And there was apparently a hat that Selena had worn. Her allegation was that Carlos Valdez claimed the tennis shoes with blood on them were her shoes. I cannot confirm 
or deny that because I couldn't understand when he was talking specifically about the shoes. Um, But she didn't provide a a transcript of the interviews. This is just, this is her representation of what he said. He said they were her shoes, not Selena's shoes. If those had been used at trial, I could have proven I was innocent. Well, you know, he doesn't have to use those at trial. And, And, you know, her attorney knew about them. Her attorney had examined them. A Brady violation is when the state withholds evidence from the defense attorney, not when a when a prosecutor elects not to enter evidence at a trial. Mm-hmm. And you know there may have been other reasons for not entering the tennis shoes. They weren't really needed. You know, you know, I, I, you know, the only reason they would have maybe been entered is if if Saldivar got up there and testified, I missed her, I fired, but I missed her. Well, then, yeah, you enter her clothing and her her tennis shoes to show her blood on those shoes and on that clothing, but you don't necessarily have to. And it's kind of like she's saying the prosecutor had some constitutional duty to use all of the physical evidence and enter all of it at my trial. And that's just not how it works. She's doing all this pro se. So she doesn't know what the hell she's doing. So she filed the state writ. It was dismissed because she never filed the first writ. She, she, all of her successive writs were dismissed. Um, she's gone on TV at one time and admitted to shooting Selena and not even claiming it was an accident, saying she was angry. I think that was like in 2014 or 2015. And now all of a sudden, you know, she's actually innocent. Then these, you know, this hat and tennis shoes prove it. Um, the state court dismissed, the federal court uh, made the same claims, and the federal court said... No, they don't prove anything. Um, Actual innocence isn't a ground. There's no Brady violation and dismissed her uh, federal 2019 federal claim. And that was recently the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal affirmed that. And Mm -hmm. let me see. Oh, I'm trying to see what date that was. Oh, that was in 20... October 2019. Okay. No, November 20, November 5th, 2019. So, um, so her her state post conviction, she can file as many state posts. She can continue filing state post convictions, and they're going to be dismissed because she never filed that first claim. Right. And the first claim she was she was really trying to just relitigate the direct appeal claims. So um, she is due for release or eligible for parole, rather. I misstated. She's not due for release. She's eligible for parole. Ah, oh, fuck my life. April second, twenty twenty five. 
What's the likelihood, Lisa? Give me the bad news. Rip it off like a band Well, Texas is really weird. We've we've talked about this before. Texas, unfortunately, doesn't seem to be real big about keeping people in prison, even killers. Mm-hmm. And so Texas is generally pretty lenient. liberal or <clears throat> progressive. No, not lenient. Liberal and progressive about releasing people at their first eligibility date. And, you know, depending upon their state behavior. Of the parole board. Now, and their in-prison behavior. If she's got if she's got a lot of um a lot of infractions and things like that, then, you know, she may not get out. However, like I said, they they tend to be a little liberal and progressive about releasing people from prison. I would say, however, Yolanda, if you're listening, I would stay in prison because there's no place with any sizable Latin Latino community that you can go not be recognized and probably not be ostracized and or worse. Oh, the bitch will have to move. Um, and I don't know of a lot of places nowadays where she can go where there's no Latinos. And, That's you know, true. like Selena has, Selena has crossed many boundaries. She was successful in a music genre that was dominated by men, that even when she initially started out, critics said, nobody wants to see her. Right. Nobody wants to hear her. And she proved them so wrong. She gave them the middle um, finger and with she a smile was, on her face. Yeah. I don't think she even gave them. No, it wasn't even middle finger. It was a smile and a hug. Right. That's true. Because she wasn't vindictive. She was kind. She was loving. She was caring. She was joyful. She was playful. Um. You know, and it took a lot. I mean, look at all Yolanda Saldivar did to her. And it took a lot before she finally, and even that, I think, when she told Yolanda, we're not friends anymore, I can't do this, it probably broke her heart. Oh, I'm sure it did. You know, um, and if Yolanda hadn't been such an evil, vindictive bitch... You know, Selena probably would have taken her to her bed for a few days and cried because she would have felt, you know, she would have felt hurt for Yolanda being hurt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had, you know, I have, I have a friend like that, that, uh, you know, she had this person who was horrible to her, taking advantage of her. And when she finally cut ties, she cried for days because she hurt that person. Mhm. I was like, "Baby, you're you too nice. You got to learn right. to cut." <laughs> and you know, sometimes I cut someone off and I regret it briefly, but I, you know, I I don't I don't it doesn't hurt me or or cause me, you know, emotional pain. Right. Um, so but uh we'll talk about Selena's legacy before blog talk cuts us off. Um, okay. She's 
so much. I mean, she transcended Mexican, um, Honduran, any Latin American, South America, California. Because you're talking about her legacy, I want to bring this up. Because I don't know, you didn't mention it, but when she was alive, people were comparing her to, or calling her the Mexican Madonna, right? But yes. In an interview somebody did, uh, it was a Hispanic gentleman, but he's right, in my opinion. She sa- he said, screw that Mexican Madonna talk. She was the Hispanic Michael Jackson. And when you think about it, it makes sense. The comparisons there. Yeah, there are, there are some parallels. Yes, there are some parallels. Um. And, yeah, because they were a family and they performed together and they were a very tight family. But, you know, I think the one thing is that um, the the Quintanilla kids were more grounded than the Jackson kids. True. Because when the Jackson kids grew up into adults, there was Buckwald. And Buckwald and Buck Buck Buckwald. Oh yeah, out of them, and a lot of um, a lot of scandal and controversy. Oh And yeah. you didn't have that with the Kentonia kids. You didn't have it with Selena. You didn't have it with AB, and you didn't have it with Suzette. Now AB. I was about to say AB got a few minor issues. A few years I, has had some issues, but prior to Selena's death, that wasn't. That wasn't the case. And I mean, AB was in his 30s. Right. I think all the AB's. That was issues in her late 20s. Support, though, right? Yeah. AB's issues stem from child support. And I think, um, you know, I think everybody, everybody's scarred. You know, everybody in that family is scarred. And everybody, but they're also working to keep her alive. One of the things, um, the English crossover album, which I think broke Billboard charts in a very short time, mm-hmm. uh, I think she only had recorded four songs. But they were able to produce the, the English crossover album and it did well. And it really got good reviews um, and showed what promise she had. Well, and I mean, then she even... got a Tejano Music Award in 1996, and her father and mother accepted the award, award on her behalf. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, Abraham said was that the stations in Texas continued playing Selena's music even after she passed. And one of the things they did is they never called her the late Selena. She remained alive to the fans. There was a movie in 1997. The boutiques, they actually kept them going for a while. Um, The boutique in San Antonio had to close in 1999, but they were able to keep the boutique in Corpus Christi open until about 2009. And then it closed and was was sold and a lot of the memorabilia and the merchandise 
is being sold at the museum. In Wait, hold on. I thought the one in I thought the one in uh, Corpus was where the museum was, or I thought they put Q Studios in there and the museum. I'm not. It, it the the museum and the studios I think are at Q Productions. Okay. Offices. I think the boutique property was sold. Okay. Okay. The boutique property may have been near Q Productions. I could be wrong. No. That's I why I wish, I wish the Quintanilla family had ag- agreed to talk to us. But I know, I know it's very difficult, and I know they're very protective, not only of their own privacy, but they're also very protective of Selena's image and Selena's reputation. Oh, absolutely. Plus, uh, I mean, and, I'm sure, and I totally understand that. I'm sure at this point, you know, I'm sure that they're, you know, trying not to talk about it at this point because I'm sure they've done interview after interview after interview. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, too, <laughs> you know, there are still some bad apples out there. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, the family's working hard to keep her name alive. Uh there was one time I remember I follow AB on uh, on Facebook and Instagram, and I remember one time he uh, made a post saying that somebody actually criticized him for posting images of his sister tell, and told him that he was trying to make a living off of her name. I was just like, "Wow, dude!" <laughs> yeah. So, um, but. Uh... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, if they want to do that, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, people, a lot of people love her. A lot of fans love her. She's got fans who weren't even born Mm -hmm. when she was killed. Um, She's got people who, you know, there are Selena's out there because of her. Allie Brooke did a tribute dance to Dreaming of You on Dancing with the Stars last, the last season it was on, in 2018, I believe. And she, she knows the Quintanilla family. Mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian and, and uh, Selena Gomez have dressed up as Selena at that Houston concert in February 1995. Mm-hmm. You know, that purple jumpsuit. Yeah. You know, for Halloween. I mean, no, keep her alive. Let's talk about her and keep her alive. That's Absolutely. good. She, she's alive in people's hearts. Otherwise, I'm She's just not alive in the, physical, in the physical body, in the physical world. And that's incredibly sad because there's so much. I mean, her children would have probably been talented and beautiful and kind as she was. Absolutely. Um, there was also a tribute concert in 2005 and there is a Netflix series coming out. Oh yes, I that's cannot being wait. Produced by the Quintanilla family. I can't either. I would love to see that too. I'm um, sitting here patiently so, waiting. It's 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I need an escape but, uh, from Columbus for 
Netflix. Yeah, and there is. There's there's so much. I mean, she she broke records while she was alive. She's broken them while she's dead. She's you know got something for everybody. And um, and it's unfortunate that she isn't here because you think about what she might have done, but. Perhaps she burned too brightly and, you know, that she burned too brightly. It was it was just too much for this world. Absolutely. So, but, uh, yeah, any, uh, my, my suggestion to Yolanda Saldivar would be stay in prison. Yeah. She's probably safer there. <laughs> Honestly, I'm you're, pretty sure you're probably that. safer there, except I, 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 on March 31st, and then there are probably people out to get you. Yeah. But um, and I'm not even going to address the allegations she made about about Mr. Quintanilla, uh, yeah. about the family, about you know. I don't see. I've seen interviews of the kids teasing their father, and him. Just you know, laughing and not getting angry, and even though it was televised or whatever, it's it's on film. Still, you can see when somebody's angry and trying to hide it. Right, exactly. And there was a lot of back and forth, and him teasing back. Exactly. You know. I mean, all you have to do is sit there and watch a couple of AB's videos on YouTube, and you can imagine, you can tell that, you know, he respects and loves his father. I think people are misconstruing mm-hmm. respect for fear. Correct. They exactly are. And you know, when when there was the when there was the blow up about Chris Perez and the relationship between Chris and Selena. Selena stood toe to went toe to toe with her father and said, I'm a grown woman, I can do what I want. And Abraham said, I'll break up the band. And mm-hmm. then Selena's like, Okay, m- m- maybe you're right, Daddy. Maybe you're right. So, you know, I, so that and that means the band and the and the music was as important to Selena as everybody uh, thinks it was to to Abraham. And absolutely. I don't think Abraham I think Abraham was earning his fees as manager. Just as AB was earning his fees as a producer and an arranger and a and a writer, and Selena was earning her money as a performer, and Suzette was earning her money as a member of the Los Dinos band. Mm-hmm. This is not, and and I don't think they, I don't think Selena ever saw it as it's all me. Oh no, absolutely, I doubt it. Um, you know, I think that she always thought it was a team effort, and it was the whole team. Mhm. So, um, but yeah, that is that's our tribute that you've been wanting to do since. 2018. So we finally get it right on the 25th anniversary. So we did it. Yay. 
and that is uh, that is tonight. I will try and watch it. I'm actually I've I've been doing show research. Right. Um. So I I do have an excuse. I really oh, haven't no. been watching a lot of, and when I watch stuff like on Friday and Saturday nights when I watch something, I've been watching movies. I got Disney Plus. I, I mean, wa- I've been watching Star Wars movies. I've been watching Marvel movies. Okay. I have watched all of the Avenger movies. <laughs> Lisa, I'm going to try not to get your hopes up here, and I'm going to be honest. You're going to have to go in there expecting to roll your eyes quite a bit. Oh, but You're... sweetie, I'm 55 years old. My tolerance for that kind of stuff is extremely thin. Hey. I'm not saying you have to watch the show. All I'm saying is you have to look up the case and we have to cover it. Okay. All right. I'll keep I will I will look that up. I may watch how many how many parts is it? It's a seven part series. It's an hour each episode. Okay. All right. I will um now that most shows had to go had to spend production and everybody's Showing reruns, I will try to watch Tiger King. <laughs> and then you'll understand the memes on your Facebook. Well, I I already kind of understand them. Right. Because you know, I, I can figure context. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. All I right. Said, oh, go ahead. And, uh, all right, so that is our, our tribute. We wanted to tribute to Selena, uh, who was a bright, vibrant, talented, not only performer, because she was more than a singer. Just a human she being. She was a performer weird. and a fashion designer um, who really had such a bright future and was denied that by an evil, manipulative, conniving troll. Uh Uh-huh. She may be a human being, but I'm not so sure. She's a human being in the scientific sense. And this is, this is, yeah, right. That's, that's her DNA. Um, you know, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm more in court of public opinion. I just, I don't think there's anything good about her. Yolanda Saldivar, and, <laughs> and I think she should stay in prison forever. Absolutely. And ever and ever. And never see the light of day. So, um, of course, if you have any questions, you can post it on the show page. Have any comments, post them on the show page. Um, we do check it. And do you get notifications? I do not get, well, no, on yeah, actually, I do to get notifications from Clearing Convention. Okay. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll, you know, keep it up. Thank you for listening. Um, we're ready to close out the show before we cut, get cut off. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you for listening to Clearing Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, 
You can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearingconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien LN. Join us on Tuesday, April 7th, 2020 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 6, State of California versus Angelo Buono and Kenneth Bianchi. Buono and Bianchi, who are cousins, terrorized the Los Angeles area during the 1980s with a series of murders displaying the bodies of the women they raped and killed on hillsides and open areas around Los Angeles. Dubbed the Hillside Stranglers, they left little evidence behind and would have escaped detection for Bianchi's twisted desire to kill. While working as a security guard in Washington State, he murdered two women and was quickly identified by police. We'll talk about the murders, the arrests of Bianchi and Buono, trial and appeals. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night. I'm dreaming.